The rules of starting a business. Come up with an idea. It must be unique. No one must have ever done it before. Then write a business plan. Get as much details as you can. Work out how much money you're going to borrow. Work out the overall size of the market and then what percentage you are going to capture. Then go for a loan. Find debt. Borrow money. Next, spend it all on inventory, marketing, building the business, getting ready and putting it out there. Now you've gone heavily into debt, spent months researching it, launched it and built the entire project, service or product. Now and only now are you ready to talk to a customer and try and sell it. You start to sell, you find out no one wants the stock you've bought You're left through of garages full of stuff that no one wants to buy, a pile of debt, and you're wondering, why have I not made young money in my first year? Why have I not launched? But then you hear the advice ringing in your ears. Businesses don't make money until year two. So you push on, hoping that one day you'll make money. This is the way we're taught to start businesses. One day, I hope to smash the belief that it takes money to make money. Hello. Before we get to the episode, I wanted to give a quick disclaimer. First, my name is Doug Cunnington. I am the producer of the Rebel Entrepreneur Show, and I have uh, my own podcast over at the Mile High Fi Network. And this particular episode, this is the disclaimer portion, we had some audio issues. There's audio issues for about 10 minutes or so, and then it cleans up a little bit. And then there's a few audio issues again on the tail end at the very end of the interview. So we're sorry about that. We have a great episode here, so we didn't want to leave it on the cutting room floor. But if you do find the audio intolerable, (laughs) I understand, and you can skip ahead a little bit and then the audio issues will go away and then when they return again you can you know skip the episode whatever works for you i'm sorry about the audio issues and you know we did our best but we didn't want to lose this episode without further ado i'm going to send it over and i do appreciate your patience and uh, you know just accepting that the audio quality isn't perfect this time around and i know alan feels the same so thanks a lot and have a great day out there. The extraordinary belongs to those that create it. Rebelling against business plans and debt, rebelling against what society expects of us to build cool businesses, make money, have fun and do good. Let's create something extraordinary together. Welcome to The Rebel Entrepreneur. Welcome to the Rebel Entrepreneur podcast, and I always love hearing how people are doing after they've been on the Rebel Business School events. And Peter from the Rebel Business School in Charleston, South Carolina, messaged on the Facebook group about what he was up to. We reached out, we connected, and I wanted to see if I could help. So Peter, welcome to the show. Thank you, Alan. It's wonderful to see you and talk to you after two and a half years and a world pandemic. 
It does. We because that event was right before the pandemic, just as it sort of was coming to us. Um, yes, so it so does feel like pop- a different world. The pop-up business school. Sorry, I'm going to have to go back to the school I went to. The pop-up. Uh, we had just started hearing about this this flu or this this thing, and people were just starting to w- wash their hands a little bit. And then a month later, it all changed. It, the the world changed. Um, now we are here because you came along to that particular event and before we rebanded to rebel business school we were called pop-up business school and you found the first you had an interesting first few days at the event didn't you yes it was very difficult for me because anyone who's taken the uh, rebel business school knows that you squash the old way of starting a business Um, in many ways what i learned was it's a new world we have new tools I had just closed a small business that I had opened for and run for six years. It was a retail store and it was a homebrew shop where I sold equipment and supplies to brew your own beer and wine and other things. Um, so I had followed the right way. I had done the business plan. I worked on that business plan for months. I had every cost down to toilet paper. As a matter of fact, my accountant, my mentor, and my bankers all said it was the best business plan they've ever seen. So with that, I was able to get a $50,000 business loan to start my business. And that was in 2013. Now, just to catch up a little, I've had a long career as a, in the computer field, uh, 27 years, starting with writing code to being a programmer, systems analyst, consultant, and even project manager. In the last recession, I was laid off for the first time in my career, and I looked at opportunities in the computer field, and I knew I just had to do something, and I've always wanted to run my own business. So this is in the 2012 timeframe. So again, I have been doing entrepreneurial stuff on the side, so I knew the right way to do it. I knew the mentors to reach out to, the business plan, worked through it all, got the the uh, space signed that three-year lease that we learned about in the Rebel Business School not to do. Um, And I opened my business and it was very successful. And it was a wonderful, it was my dream job. Everything about that, I worked six days a week, never not wanted to go home, never never wanted to leave early and never wanted to take a day off. I worked six days a week for five and a half years. Absolutely loved that. I taught hundreds of people to make beer and wine. We had festivals at the shop. Uh, I started beekeeping because I met beekeepers, started beekeeping equipment. That was something as home brewing is cyclical, and I knew that. So I was trying to bring in the beekeeping supplies to offset the you know, general slowdown in the fourth year of business. So and eventually, the bottom line is the last year of business, we had three hurricane um, evacuations in four years. And when you're a hobby, you lose two weeks of business. Okay. So the governor tells everyone to leave. So my shop has no customers for two weeks. And that happened in my final year of business. And I was getting unrelenting competition from the internet with prices that I couldn't even get wholesale prices and overnight shipping. 
So, you know, if you're driving home and you're planning to go to the to the uh, homebrew shop and traffic's bad, it's raining, um, you're just going to order on Amazon. It'll be there the next day. So my wife and I looked at the numbers. The sales were down uh, 39% year to year. And we saw that it was just nothing that we had done wrong or were doing wrong. It was just that, you know, the world was changing and Amazon and the internet was not going away. And we decided that the right thing to do was to close the business, which we did. I was able to pay off um, my suppliers. And the only outstanding debt I had was this business loan. Um, so my plan was to take a few weeks off. This was November of 19. And then I saw this business school as I was trying to uh, get back into the working world. So this was the perfect segue for me was this, and I do nothing about it. Figured it was a scam. Still a little curious, <laughs> but we're a little but bit no. dodgy like that. It's like free yes, business yes. school. De Everyone yeah, thinks free we're business school. Yes. yes. <laughs> in, in a mall that was half closed, but it was a wonderful <laughs> location. And it was a wonderful time. And we walked out of there and I had a business idea that we worked through using the business uh, tools that we were taught. And we all walked out of that place just with the world in our hands because that was such a great energetic. And the first three days were so difficult because Alan is up there and he's just crashing down. He's repeating all the things that I went through and how we don't have to do that anymore. And I was like, but I did it the right way. I did everything I was supposed to. And um, even though I came away from the Rebel Business School with, uh, with an idea in mind, the world shut down. So we walked out of there, world in our hands. A month later, everything changed. So that really put a damper on my entrepreneurial idea. And as the world opened up, I just had bills to pay and I just had to get a job. I needed a salary, a regular salary. I've been depending on my beautiful wife of 31 years on her way too exorbitant teacher salary, public school teacher salary, which we have learned to adjust since I was laid off. So essentially we've been living on her salary for near 10 years. Uh, so we, you know, I had to start earning and keeping up with the bills, which we have been doing. Um, my biggest mistake in all of this was I signed the papers, I take responsibility, but I never realized that the business loan I took out and set up on auto pay for the six years I was in business was an interest only loan. After five and a half years, six years, when I closed the business, I did not realize I had not made a dent. So when times were good, I could have been lowering this debt. Um, it was my mistake. I did not know it. I just thought it was just, you know, the first few years of a loan, you barely make headway anyway. So when I closed the shop, the local bank um, put me in their asset management plan, whatever that is called, and refinanced my loan for two years at 4%. Now, I thought for sure, and I wish I had recorded it, the person said, if you pay on time for those two years, at the end of it, we'll, we won't hold you to it, which I th thought meant they would absolve me of the remaining debt. Uh, so now it is May. The loan is due in June, June 24th. That's when I put out a call for help on the 
um, Facebook group for the Rebel Business School folks. And Alan was so generous to say, how can I help? So here I am. So the bank is more than happy to refinance me. But as we know, I had a 4% loan. I've got, I, I worked this loan down over the past two years from 48,000 to 42. So I expect a balloon loan repayment figure of approximately $42,000 on June 24th. Now, the bank is happy to refinance that, but as we know, yeah, interest rates are up. And I spoke to the person in charge of the refinance at this bank, and he said he's looking at a seven-year term, and he's trying to get uh, rates where I could afford the payment, which I had been making at $411.35 a month for two years. And that was a very painful thing to drop off at the bank every month, knowing that the store has been closed for two years. I cannot imagine living with this for another seven years. That would be almost 10 years since the business closed. I'd still be paying this debt. I didn't qualify for any of the pandemic because I closed before the pandemic. So I didn't qualify for any of those relief programs or government's uh, offerings and things like that. Uh, if I had waited two months or so to close the shop, I might have had access to all of those programs. So that's where I am today. And I am trying to find out two things with you today, Alan. One is how do I best manage this loan? Because it's not going away, okay, going forward. And what sort of advisor, legal, financial, or otherwise, can I enlist to help me through this and make sure that I don't make similar mistakes going forward? There's some great questions there. And Peter, wow, thank you for sharing your story. Because uh, I think everyone listening to this, like this will help everyone listening to this. Well, because there's some if, real pieces here to learn from. And, and, and that makes me make makes me glad. It really does. I mean, I feel like I did the right thing. So I don't ruin it. I don't regret it. Um, it's an annoyance and a financial burden. But uh, I loved every minute I had that shop. It's beautiful, too. You can still see it on Google Photos. It is yeast, everything homebrew. <laughs> awesome. Awesome. And it sounds like you helped a huge amount of people. You had fun doing oh, the business. It was just wonderful. Financially set it up in a way that it was difficult to get through. And I think one thing I would love to say to the audience, having listened to your story, is about the interest only loan and the paperwork. And I don't know about you, Peter, but when I see a legal document come through that's like 15 pages long in legalese. How much energy do you have to read that? Exactly. And, <laughs> and even this, Alan, I have spent many, many hours poring over legal documents as a project manager in the term of contracts and in terms of proposals for millions of dollars worth of business. So I felt like I was pretty darn confident in um, signing these documents. 
It's really challenging, isn't it? Because as soon as those documents come in and I look at them, I don't want to read them. I don't want to go through them. But I have to force myself to sit down with a highlighter, uh, making notes, going through line by line with every detail and then asking, going, I don't understand this. What does this mean? And it's not easy to do. So I can see why people don't do it. And I've had this thing with the team at Rebel. You've got to focus on every line when it's a contract because they will hold you to it. Correct. And you're also in in that euphoria state of I'm opening my business. I had planned on this business for a year. I brewed every sort of beverage I could find a recipe for wines and beers and peach wines and fruit wines. So I knew going into this, even the, the fancy kombuchas that are all popular now, back when I was opening the shop, they weren't, but I knew I had to know something about all of this. So I had worked hard to prepare this. I got the loan. I was on cloud nine, Alan. I was, I was going, I was on the path to live my dream. And I did for six years. And you did, but then we got a nasty surprise at the end of it with the interest only loan that we didn't actually realize. And that's a real challenge. I think for everyone listening to this, this is why it's so important to do your business finances. And I don't even know if Peter was or not. This is just a general message for everyone, but your business finances every single month, that balance sheet of like, what have you got coming in? Well, the cash flow. what have you got coming in? What have you going out? And then the balance sheet of like, have I paid off any of my debt? Is it going anywhere? Because these debts can creep up on you and they can grow. And it actually, that was one of the things that killed my parents' business was the same thing, Peter. They took a huge loan to extend a public house they had. And they didn't win as much business as they thought they would. And then that loan just started mounting interest. They couldn't keep up with payments and it was killing them. It killed their business. And they went from a profitable little business to having a massive debt that they could never pay off. I remember that story well when you told it at the uh, Rebel Finance School. (laughs) Yes, debt has played a little bit of a history in my past. Uh, Unfortunately, (laughs) it still plays a history in lots of people's pasts. And that's, that's the whole purpose of the podcast and the business school is to help people avoid this. There are ways to do it without of debt. Um, Right. And and the one thing I would add, one thing I would add to your statement about reading the fine print in every line. The other thing is understanding exactly what they're holding you to in terms of a lien on your house. What can they come after now? I mean, if I walk away from this, am I risking my house? What, what, what do I have as collateral for this loan right now? And I do know what that is and how it's phrased. And I would need a lawyer to understand um, what it means if I say default on the loan. So I say, I'm not going to pay it. Am I going to lose my house? Are they going to come after all my possessions, my salary? Can they do that? I don't know. So you don't know the answer to that question right now? That is correct. Okay. So that's definitely something to work on. But before we just draw a line, because I think one of the most important things with this is to go, okay, we are where we are. <laughs> Let's find our way forwards. I just wanted to make sure we got the learnings for us and for everyone listening. 
was there anything else you learned from this experience that you have been through that you can teach all of us? Because basically that's what Rebel Business School is, is me going, look, here's all the mistakes me, my dad and everyone else made. Don't make the same mistakes we made. Go out and make new mistakes. Um, so well, I, I thought, what can we learn? Well, the other the other thing is, is I thought I had a handle on my finances, but obviously I did not. I was looking at my inventory, my sales, and the immediate things. But as you said, I never had a net worth of the business where I would have found out that my net worth of the business was not changing because I did not have that debt. That debt wasn't on my um, my my accounting system. So, so, and then, you know, so I'm just worried about day-to-day sales, inventory levels, profit margins and all that because it was a profitable business. Um, in terms of, you know, inventory, my, my profit margin was very, very good on most items. Um, so, but if I had a net worth of this just struck me Alan, as we were talking, because that was the first of the rebel finance school is the net worth of your bill of your business. Which they call that a balance sheet. Um, but most people are concerned with cash flow. It's like, do I have enough money this month? Oh, a small business is, is, is one, one month away from closing. I mean, everyone thinks that the small business guys are just, you know, raking in the dough and some, some can be very successful, but even a successful business, it's all about cash flow. Which what you're talking about, we've just started the rebel finance school and you've been hanging out with us at the rebel finance school, all about this stuff. And I think there's actually some really useful concepts from personal finance that we don't even apply to business finances, such as the net worth of the business or the balance sheet and the emergency fund. I don't think, and I'd love to, I'd love to know this, like how many of you listening to this podcast have an emergency fund for your business? Because you've been through hurricanes (laughs) and that would go down on my emergency list, Peter, as I've gone through a hurricane, I've been asked to evacuate the place. Um, and I can't do it. And that is an emergency. And you need cash because business can dry up at any stage. Right. And uh, understanding your insurance, because I had insurance, Alan, it covered my hurricanes. And I called up my insurance company the first time we had a hurricane. And the governor said everyone had to evacuate for two weeks. And I said to the insurance company, yeah, I've been out of business for two weeks. And they said, well, how long was the electricity out for? I said 24 hours. He said, well, we, we, only, we only cover for the, the 24 hours your business was not able to run because of the electricity. I said, but the governor sent all of my customers away. Didn't matter. So the only compensation I would get from a storm was loss of power or flooding. It just, it makes me cringe because you buy insurance to protect you from these things. But the insurance, like they have it tied up to try and avoid paying out at all costs, because if they pay out, they lose money. So they tie these things up and it like that's so, so difficult. Did you have an emergency fund at that time? Uh, no. I, I don't think we I don't think businesses think about it. I, I had an emergency fund when COVID hit for. Uh, rebel business school because i 
don't like risk like that. I hate it. So I had enough money sat in the account that if we didn't sell anything, we were okay for a year without firing any staff or changing any expenditure. And I was, I was, I always wanted to have that money. And I've done the same thing always in my personal life, because I know that's what killed my dad's first business was overnight, a recession came, people stopped buying sportswear for his business. He stopped getting money in, but he had huge expenses and nothing to cover it. And within a month, two months, he was in trouble. It just didn't have the cash flow to cover it. Exactly. And I think there's a lot of business, small business owners listening today who are just writing down start emergency fund. <laughs> start emergency to, fund. Because you still have to pay the electricity. You still have to pay, pay for your water and you still have to pay that rent. Peter, uh, I think I just want to say thank you. You are incredible for sharing this because these are lessons I've been wanting to share on a podcast for a long time, but you need the examples to bring it to life, to get people to listen and actually do it and take action. So thank well, Alan, you. I'm, I'm, well, thank, thank you, but I'm not sure, Alan, I'm really, really happy about being the example for others no. in this way. <laughs> no, I know, I know, and... <laughs> I'm yeah. the guy, do everything I don't say. I say, do the opposite of what I say. No, 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 you're right. Because again, I, I have no hard feelings about the decisions we made going into it. I did make some mistakes and I am responsible for them. But yes, as the first three days of that Rebels business school told me over and over again, <laughs> you don't have to do it this way. Uh, but you know, you only had been in what your first year of this, maybe second year of the Rebel Business School. Yeah, it had only just come to America at that stage. It was like one of the first major courses we'd done in America, uh, and I hadn't launched a podcast. I hadn't done anything else. Like this kind of message about debt-free startup wasn't as prevalent as it is now. Um, so we were only just getting out there. Um, so there's still there's still lessons to learn. There are still people doing exactly what I have done, um, and they don't know that there's options out there. Uh, Alan and his great team is is offering them uh, a a different way. So Peter, we are where we are. We've got the debt we've got. Now let's look forwards about what to do, and. We've got this loan. We've got 24, 25 days to work out what to do before the next cycle. Um, I have questions. I have thoughts. I have ideas. Is there any way you'd like me to focus first or should I start with some thoughts and ideas? Well, I think this is the perfect segue to what you have said. And I don't know if you coined the phrase, but to all the folks listening right now is Alan has said very often, and this is the moment that I need to say it, and it's forgive your old self. Mm, forgive past you. Absolutely. Yes. Like, well, yeah, we have to forgive and then go, okay, let's deal with this. Um, because past you did the best you could. Past me did the best I could. Um, yeah, we've done the best we can. So I think you're absolutely right. And I think there comes a stage where we just have to focus on what's next and what we can do next to work on this. And I, I love that. Yes. Thank you for reminding me. That's a very important statement. Yes. And, and that is what I'm doing right now. So, yes, I would love to 
just see your your general off the top of your head feedback and then we can dive into perhaps some more specifics okay so general off the top feedback is you don't need a team to tackle debt there is a way to do it yourself and me personally i had no option so my dad like ran up five million dollars 3.6 million pounds worth of debt and then he legged it with a, another woman and disappeared to leave me and my mum to deal with it because the only thing it was tied against was the family home. And we didn't have money for lawyers, accountants, solicitors. We had to deal with it ourselves. And at that time, I got super geeky. And I, I had two strategies, Peter. Number one was, I'm going to read the law myself and like, just work this out. I'm going to write it down. I'm going to look up definitions. I'm going to work through it. And number two, when I've done that, I'm going to go to the solicitors that offer a free half an hour or a free hour consultation to start with. Because you know, lots of the lawyers and solicitors and different people offer a free half an hour to chat through your problems to start with. Yes. Yep. I went to about 12 of them. <laughs> I asked them all the same questions. And like, what do you think about this? And what do you think about this? And one person would go, oh, it's this point of law or this angle. And I'd go, oh, that's interesting. Which piece of law is that? And I'd make notes and then I'd go home and look it up, research, and then go to the next one. And I got super geeky about learning all of those pieces, which I'm glad I did because it's actually protected me in the future from all sorts of different stuff. So I think there's a whole level of understanding we can get to ourselves and using some of the free half an hours to really dig into what is this loan? What are the terms and conditions? What is the collateral against it? Can they come for your house? What did you sign at the start? I mean, the document that my dad forced my mum to sign uh, was a guarantee that said, I will stand surety for all debts, future, past and present of my husband. And yeah, that's a, a hideous document. I don't think it's even legal anymore. They've changed the laws on that stuff to protect wives from that kind of things. That's a very, like, to protect partners from that kind of things. At that stage, it was very much like the man going out. Things have changed now. So I think... We really need to understand what this loan is tied against. Do you have the original paperwork? Uh, I do not have it at hand. And I really did not receive a very good copy of it was like two pages that I just signed. I mean, it was done at the branch. They, they faxed the documents over and I just had to show up and sign. So, yes, I need, I need to get those. That's first task is let's contact the bank and say, I need the original documents. I need to go through this and see what I actually signed because we're coming up to this renewal period. Um, and then we need to find the details because... If we didn't, if all we got was two pages and it doesn't actually say very much, then there's all sorts of things we can do. Because if they haven't done the loan properly, if they haven't informed you properly, um, 
there is a piece of legislation in the UK, which I would have to look up exists in the US, like you're meant to get when signing a certain size loan and certain details, you're meant to get legal advice as to what is actually in there. And I don't know whether you signed that you didn't want that, whether they gave it to you. Like it's really, it'll be really interesting. We There's so much we don't know without that original document. Does that make sense to you? Yes, it does. And, and, I, and I have contacted the bank. Uh, I just don't have it with me at the moment. I think step one, let's get the original document. And then step two is then we go through that and work out how we're going to negotiate with them. Because I don't think people really realize this, but you can negotiate with a bank. A bank is just a collection of people and humans and they want their money back. And they will negotiate with you to get a certain amount back. And one of the things we can do as we go through this is we can look at the six years of payments you made on the interest only rate. We can look at the two years of payments that you've made up until now and what you've paid back. And we can start to talk to them and go, look, I can't keep up this payment. We've already paid X amount of dollars back on a 50,000 original loan or 48. Uh, And this is where we are. And we need to negotiate on this because I cannot pay this. And we then need to like start to stand up to them and negotiate with them and see where it goes. The reason we don't get too hard to start with is we need to know the original terms of the loan to make sure it's it's not tied to the house. Like, is it secured to the house? Is it an unsecured loan? Then we can start to figure out what actually to do with it. Right. And I have... Some of those questions I did get answered from, but not the original documents. They were via email. And um, yes, I will just, I will not try and re- recreate that in my mind right now. I'll just write it down as things to do. Understand things to do. Loan docs. Yep. Let's get the original loan docs. Uh, then we can start to negotiate. Um, we've kind of got options from there. The people to negotiate with are the bank that gave you the loan because they are the ones that gave you the money. They are the ones to negotiate with. If we refinance away from them right now, we're starting with a new loan company. We're starting with a new place and we're basically taking on a new loan when we refinance it in that way. If it's still with the original bank, it's kind of all part of that original deal, even though you did the refinancing for two years. Like there's still it's still part of that whole original thing that we need to deal with. Um, So I think we need to tackle this as quickly as possible before we decide what to do at the end of June, because we have 24 days to work out what to do with it. We can also say to the bank. I am not ready to do this. You need to provide me with the original document. I need to get advice and then we need to talk to you about it. We can tell them like we're going to pause repayments and you need to be nice to us. Otherwise, we're going to end up defaulting on this and you will never get anything back. And banks would rather have you pay something back than get nothing. Does that kind of make any sense? Oh, yes, it does. And and that is why I'm here with you, Alan, because, you know, just finding a plan to work through 
always helps. And that's exactly it, is we just need to get a plan to work through it and work out where we are. Yes, and and I I would love to know how much I've paid the bank over all of these years. Um, And that's definitely part of it. We need to work out how much. I did did try to um, do some of these things when I renegotiated. The person I was dealing with was a horrendous person. As a matter of fact, I remember that my first, when I first heard from this asset management person, I sent a message to my banker saying, this is the most unprofessional person I have ever met in my life. And in the two years I dealt with her, she had not changed my mind one bit. Because I did try and negotiate a lower or a, a single payoff and wouldn't even hear of it. But anyway, moving on. Oh, one question, Alan. Do I do I need to go get all of the original documents from the initial loan, the refinance, or just should we just deal with the refinance because that's what we're dealing with? So the refinance was with the same bank. I I would say get both. Like let's tell them like we need to understand exactly what this is and we need to go through it. And I'm not really sure, so I need the documents before we go any further. Uh, on the asset management side, that's the bank's fancy way of calling someone that they send in to try and recover money they don't think they'll get back. And banks love to dress things up in fancy terms rather than calling it debt recovery. They call it asset management. And they would tend to pick very hard people without emotions or feelings because I guarantee they get endless sob stories each week, some of them real and some of them fake, that they have to deal with. And after a period, I think even the best of us would become hardened. It's difficult because I I wouldn't be good at that job, Peter, because you'd send me in and I'd go, oh, look, times are tough. Never mind. Don't worry. You don't have to pay it back. And I... I'd probably let everyone off. I would be rubbish at that job. So I kind of respect them in a way, um, but also it's not good because like, it makes it very difficult for those of you who are actually trying to do the right thing and pay it off. They treat everyone the same way, even if you've got good intentions. I would be rubbish in that job as well. <laughs> I'd be too nice. I'd be far too nice. Yeah, if you're a banker listening to this, do not hire me to recover your money. Um Mind you, I can get grumpy sometimes. That's not fair. I can fight a fight if I think it's the right one. Um, so, like, okay. So the paperwork, we need to go through that. Do you have, like, a person that is dealing with it now? Yes, I do. And it is okay. a different person from who I dealt with because I did tell them I never wanted to speak to that person again. So I do have someone, as a matter of fact, he just left me a voicemail. I started, he, I reached out to my bank last week about this loan because the communication has been horrible, like I said, from the asset management group. And I reached out to my banker last week and said, yeah, I haven't heard anything about this. When is this, what's, what's next? And so they did put in motion. So I do have a contact. I've talked with him. He was the one who I mentioned was looking at perhaps a seven-year refinance term. He did not have rates because he felt that the rates were subject to change um, in our favor. So 
he gave me a call this morning and I have to follow up with him. Okay. So I think let's follow up with him, find out what the rates are, and then say, like, we need to do some actually understanding what the initial loan is, where we are, and I'm not ready to do this until we've properly understood all this. You can work with me or I can do it separately. But this is getting to the stage where I don't think I can keep paying this back and see how they react to that. Because if they believe you're just going to keep paying it back, then they have no incentive to negotiate with you. Like there's no reason. It's like, well, he's just going to keep paying it back because he doesn't want to lose his home. Never mind. We'll just stick him on a higher interest rate and leave him to it. And they'll subjugate you to that debt for a long, long time. So part of this is they have to believe that you're not going to pay it back. You're struggling. This isn't right. And they have to actually believe that. Otherwise, there's no incentive to negotiate. So what I will do is I will include, uh, it's interesting, the branch manager of my local branch was the banker, not the branch manager, who um, got me the original loan. <laughs> so now he's the branch manager of that branch. But again, so I've got him um, who I will address along with the asset management uh, employee in one email. And what I'm going to do is, which I like your verbiage, was not ready to sign anything or go forward until I fully understand uh, the loan terms. And I would need the original documents going back to 2013, as well as the refinance and a record of how much I have paid against interest and principal for each of those timeframes. That would be fantastic. That would be excellent. And then I think there's one other piece here which is us to do research. And I. it's been a long time since I fought the bank for my mum. Uh, and I got super into it. So we'd need to do the research. But there's a bit of... You, you're telling me you didn't know this was an interest-only loan. That is a huge failing from the bank. And we need to find out whether they actually told you that, how it was sold to you, because there is an angle here that we can go to them and say, you have missold me this debt. And that's a serious, serious thing. Like They have rules and regulations, and we need to look up what rules, what regulations, what should they have told you? Did they actually put it in the paperwork at the start? But they might have missold you that loan. And if they've missold you the loan, then we can use that to batter them on the negotiation. And basically, it's a negotiation. The stronger our side is, you missold me the loan. I didn't know it was interest only. I've been paying it back for years. I've already paid you more than the loan back. Like This is ridiculous. And you can fight them. And it will turn into a little bit of a fight. But we need that leverage to be able to negotiate. If we don't have any leverage, we can't negotiate. And then we're just going to be stuck with the loan rate they're giving us. Does that make, does that sort of bring it to life and make sense? Yes. Yes. And, and yes. Um, and it's more, I think what we're getting at here is some of the 
things I kind of sort of did maybe and half tried or didn't quite fully get it down on paper and pen and, and hold these folks to it um, was, you know, something I'm learning. So having a plan where all of this gets documented as well, not just phone calls. Yes, absolutely. My dad taught me that one. Uh, he did it from the naughty side. He was like, if you ring someone, it's not written down and they can't hold you to it. Uh, so <laughs> so uh, I write down everything. And you might have heard the keys tapping in the background. I've been making notes of this as we go, because I can't hold all these figures and details in my head. I have to write it down. And if I'm going to help you the best, I have to write it down. And then if I'm getting super geeky because I don't trust the other side, I email it to them straight afterwards and say, here's what I got out of my phone call. If you don't reply, I'll take it that you agree that's what we discussed. And I think it's really important with this sort of stuff to do it. So I think on this next side, I don't know who to speak to in America, in the UK, we have something called citizens advice that give out free advice if you're in a pickle with debts. I think there's bound to be some solicitors out there who deal with loans, repayments and debts. And I think we need to get a free half an hour and chat to them and say, I think I was missold this. Can you tell me which points of law this affects like I didn't know it was an interest only loan. I was paying about for six years and then they surprised me with it. Like that can't be right. How does this work? What parts of the law? And we need to write down the exact words that the solicitor says, because then we can go back and Google it, look it up ourselves, read the law and then present it to the bank and say, this is what we think you've done. You've missold us. It's under this point. It's under this piece of law. And, the bank will just be shocked that you have that kind of stuff because no one, no one goes through that. They just rant and rave, but you need the actual pieces of law to hold them to. Otherwise, we don't have anything to hold them to. We're just another ranting and raving customer that they have to put up with. Yes, and I am going to look on one of the uh, financial radio shows um, in the States here is Clark Howard, and he is at Clark.com. And he, over the years, I've felt is a reasonable advisor in all terms of finance. And I know I have looked up on his webpage for that sort of uh, advisor that you mentioned. And I don't know if I can find it quick enough for the program. There's like an association of counselors like that. Perfect. Perfect. Let's reach out. Let's get an initial chat. Let's find out some details. And all we kind of need is the spark to start Googling because it is incredible what you can find when you start Googling. But without knowing the sentence that says it's this part of the law or it's this term or it's this or it's this word, it's really difficult to uncover that stuff. And once you've found the right term, it's amazing what you can find out, what you can pull together. And we just need a structured argument to go back to the bank and say, here's our structured argument of why we think you should negotiate with us to a lower rate, to not paying back as much to whatever it is we're going to negotiate towards. And we'll go back to them. And in any negotiation, it's important to start further than you want to go. 
because let's say it's a 48 grand loan and we actually think like after we've looked at all the repayments we've made so far, it would be fair to repay them. Like, I don't know, I'm making up the numbers, but be fair to repay them 10 grand more. And then we look at that and we would have to go in and negotiate going, actually, I don't think we owe you anything because you missold it. And that gives them room to then come back and go, okay, well, like pay us back 10 grand and we'll forget it. But if we go in at the figure we want, they're going to come back with a figure that's higher. So with any negotiation, we need to start with a stronger position than we actually want to get to that allows us room to negotiate to the point we want to get to. And uh, that was absolutely my position with the bank was you shouldn't have any of my mum's house. <laughs> I don't agree with any of this thing. Uh, and we had to fight for a long time about it, but we got there. And I actually think your case is a lot simpler, a lot simpler, and we can do something with it. And there is a chance, Peter, that we do all this research and we actually find out they didn't missell it to you. We just didn't pick up on the details. We didn't know what we were doing. We didn't sign it. There is a chance we discover that, but at least we know for certain. Right. Yes. And and I, I am not looking for handouts or anything. You know, I, I signed the papers. I understand. I made the mistakes. I just want to be able to uh, deal with this in a, in a way that, you know, does not leave me uh, as you were um, financially crippled. And I certainly don't have as much debt. But on the other hand, as we spoke earlier, getting back to a salary, a paying job, um, as much as the world is looking for workers, there's a little bit of gray in the hair, a little bit of gray in the beard. I was so upset when I was looking for a a, a new line of work of how much un, unsaid uh, age discrimination there was out there, especially because I ran my own business. They expect that I want a CEO salary, that I am overqualified for any position, I said to one, I was actually looking at a hydroponics, which is very popular here now, a hydroponics uh, company, which would be great with my geeky uh, computer background because it's all computer controlled. And they said, you're overqualified. I said, how? I've never worked in a hydroponic factory before. <laughs> yes. I just so, want to get a job and I want to do a good job. Just yes. why are you stopping me? Yeah, exactly. And, and they expect uh, that, that I want plenty of money, which was not the case. And uh, so anyway, but I have found myself a very good good um, um, job. Uh, it is outdoors. It is working on the docks here on the beautiful Charleston Harbor. Um, it is with the city, and it has excellent benefits, but a low pay. Uh, I still have some of those rebel ideas running around, uh, but I don't have as much time to focus on them, but smaller projects. Um, still looking for all of those ways to, you know, bring in some extra money. And I think it sounds like you've been on an incredible journey. And one of the most important things we can do is tie a bow in this situation. Because the worst thing we can be do, do is be left in limbo land. And I don't know if that 
yeah, limbo land, the sort of midway point of like the debt is there. I don't quite know if they can come after my house. I don't quite have a plan to pay it off. So I think if we can get you out of limbo land with this, get you a plan, put to bed whether we can negotiate or not, and then like let's have a plan and make forwards, I think then we can just relax, work through the plan and make progress. And that's where we need to get to. It, it it's very true because the uncertainty is what keeps me up at night. Not so much that I owe this money; it's what's going to happen. How is it going to happen? Uh, how will it affect the family? It, you know, it's the uncertainties that that twist me, not the money. So let's deal with those uncertainties. We're going to logically work our way through it, get the documents, study the terms understand it and in the process of understanding it we will remove the uncertainty and we'll come up with a plan of what to do next and i'm grateful that you reached out how do you feel about our plan at the moment with the next actions of getting the paperwork from the bank working out the interest we've paid them and what we've paid them back over the years and then going to the solicitors about where you improperly sold the loan how do you think about how do you feel about that plan I find I feel like it is the best approach. Uh, I just couldn't get it down in a organized way, but I kind of sort of knew I needed this to do this. I'm happy with it. And again, just having a plan sometimes can be half the battle. It really can. It really can. And you just need someone to talk it through with sometimes and go, okay, let's just come up with a logical plan. And that's, one of my strengths is going, okay, this is the situation. Here's the step-by-steps. Let's do that. That's one of the strengths I've developed over the years. So I'm just glad you gave me the opportunity to help. Well, um, I, I, I appreciate your your reaching out to me immediately, folks. Uh, those listening at home, I mean, there was not much more than a few minutes before Alan reached out to me when I, and I just asked, you know, if anyone on the group, you know, had any ideas. Uh, and within, I think, 12 hours, we had the schedule scheduled. So I want to just thank you personally for um, your, your time and your generosity of, of sharing your knowledge and willingness to help. It's That's amazing. the mission. I don't want anyone to ever go through what I went through. Yeah. <laughs> I, I wish yeah. I could help everyone out there, Peter. I yes. really do. Uh, so before well, I wrap up, closing yes, thoughts for the audience. What would you like to share with the people listening You've got sort of 11,000 people a week listening to the podcast. What would you like to say to them? Um, I would like to say that um, understanding what you're assigning, uh, you, I, I, was, I would have to say now looking back, I was overconfident. I did a lot of contracts. I did a lot of million-dollar proposals. This was something different. And, um, you know, I missed some very key things. Um, and even if it's just someone, uh, not a professional, but, you know, perhaps someone to go over, like, um, Alan said with a yellow marker and make sure you're understanding everything. Uh, the better way though, of course, is the rebel way, which is to avoid taking on this amount of debt in the first place. Um, and Alan's got a lot of work left for him because there's still, Plenty of people out there applying for business loans today. Uh, I was, that is the lesson. And it, it, it was very difficult, as I said, sitting in those first few days, knowing I had done everything right, but the world has changed and there were newer ways to go at it. 
go about this sort of thing without the risk. Peter, thank you for the closing thoughts. Let's speak again in a week's time when you've pulled all this together. Uh, Absolutely. Let's chat. Excellent. All right. And I have one more thought. I may as well just give a shout out and a success story to one of our mutual friends from the Charleston Pop-Up Business School, Brittany. Brittany. She's fabulous. She is fabulous. She was the one I went to work for to, to, I enlisted and paid her for her services of building a resume and throughout my job search. And she was fantastic. Every resume that I sent out, uh, got a response. And she is now doing, as you well know, uh, the res rev R E Z R E V. I don't know, Alan, if you do know her, uh, page information online, you can probably rephrase that. That's one of these where I would say erase last line. (laughs) I will look up the details and share them in the review at the end of the episode. But Brittany's done a fantastic job. She's incredible. And she's just genuinely a nice person, which I think is one of the benefits of coming on these events is you never know who you're going to meet. Exactly. Exactly. She she was a champion for me and, and there was a lot of no's and stuff. So I did want to give a shout out to, to her and her new venture and that she's a success story out of the Charleston uh, uh, Business School. She really is. She really is. Thank you, Peter. Thank you for your openness and honesty and coming on the show. Thank you, Alan. And I look forward to speaking to you very soon. The participant from Charleston that Peter was talking about is Brittany Petit, and she runs Res Rev. She's got an incredible business. She's out there helping people and launching her software. And you can find her at the res, R-E-Z, R-E-V dot com, and you can have a look at that. But I wanted to do this outro for you. Some of the things Peter said are so important. Boy, before you sign a contract, before you sign a document, before you sign any formal agreement, read every line and understand it. If you don't understand it, do not sign it. I am amazed by the people that just sign things they don't really understand based on what the person in front of them told them about it. And I do that sometimes when it's something minor, like you're signing up to do a an event for the day and they like sign this formal document. I'm like, what are you making me sign? And I kind of roughly read it. But when it's something important like my business and debts or a contract over several years, like read every detail, get a highlighter out, question it, ask about it because it is incredible what people sneak into these things. We had one contract with a housing association they snuck in there that after the thing was over, they owned the intellectual property to our course. No, you can't put that in there. And if I'd have just ignored it, they would have had the right to have come to me, used my course, given it to their staff and just given it away and destroyed my business model. Like I'm shocked at what people put in these things. So please read everything. The next is the debt warning. I'm sure you've heard me talk about this before. You've heard me talk about the petition I'm working on in the UK to ban advertising of high interest rate debt. But this belief that it takes money to make money and debt. And if you take on debt, 
you're going to have to pay it back or you're going to have a decade-long fight in the banks and the courts to get anywhere with it. It is not pretty when it goes wrong. Just don't do it. Just avoid borrowing debt. Avoid taking on money. Just, It's not worth it. It really isn't. And I know the property people listening to this will be going, there's good debt and there's bad debt. If you're buying a buy-to-let property and taking a mortgage, fine. But do not over-leverage yourself. That's what kills people every time. You do not need money to build a business. There are so many ways to do it without that. And listening to Peter's story, if you could see my face, my heart just went out to him. I want to help him. I want to help him get out of the debt. I want to help him. Maybe he needed it to build the business. He had a good time. He did it. There are other ways of getting going. And now, years after the business is closed, we're still dealing with the debt and trying to understand what we actually owe, what's secured against it, and how we deal with it. And the final thing I wanted to say to you is... If you know someone who's building a business the traditional way, if you know a traditional advisor, if you know someone that is thinking of writing a business plan, taking on a loan, building a business, anyone who's thinking of building a business, please share this episode. You do not need debt to build a business. Hopefully this Like the pain that Peter's gone through, the pain that my family went through is enough of a warning. And then you build on that with the five ways to build a business with no debt. There are ways to do it without this. So please share this episode, send it to your entrepreneurial friends, send it to your friends that aren't entrepreneurs who are thinking of quitting their day job and building a business. Please help me smash the belief that it takes money to make money and warn people of the dangers of debt when building a business. Thank you for listening to The Rebel Entrepreneur. Thank you for being part of the gang. And together, let's build businesses debt-free, make money, have fun, and work on building an extraordinary life. Because it's possible for you and everyone else listening. You can have any life you want to. Choose to build something cool. Choose to take action. Choose to work to make your dreams become reality. Stand out. Be different. Be yourself. Be a rebel entrepreneur.